Okay, now we're going to look at Philemon. Carl Kaspic is coming. He's been a husband for how many years? Almost 42 now. Almost 42 years. He's father of three, has several grandkids, has pastored from California to Maine, has ministered in all kinds of churches from Foursquare to American Baptist. The man of God, I love him and Julie. We turn it to you now, brother. Good evening. Uh, I always found Philemon as one of my favorite little books. First off, it's the smallest book in the Bible, so if I just want to read something short, I'll sometimes turn to Philemon, and I can get a lot of encouragement, I can get a lot of things out of it, but also, if I want to chuckle I will sometimes go to Philemon because if you really read it, you can see the humor in what Paul is attempting to accomplish into this book and into this letter, I should say. Um, Philemon was written approximately 61 to 62 AD while Paul was in prison in Rome. But it's interesting to note that when Paul opens up this letter, he opens up in verse 1 and says, Paul, a prisoner of Nero. Oh, no, that isn't what it says, is it? A prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes the fact that he may be in chains in Rome and that he may be experiencing his last days, months, or years in Rome, but he says, I'm not here because a Roman emperor put me in chains. I'm not here because the Roman government wants to shut me up. I'm here as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you, Paul ministered to more people from a prison cell in Rome than most of these TV evangelists and anybody else will ever reach. He spoke power from the midst of that place that to most people would seem like it would be dark and dreary. I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm awaiting my death. But Paul never looked at it that way. Paul never saw himself as a prisoner of anybody but of his Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here because of the will of God. And when we face things in our lives, we have to realize that no matter where we are, no matter what circumstance we're in, God isn't up in heaven wringing his hands and sweating and going, I don't know what to do here in your case. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139.16, and I like it in the New Living Translation, says, and talking about God formed us in the womb, it also says, all the days of my life were written in your book before I ever took a single breath, before you ever took a single breath. <clears throat> what an encouragement that is, knowing that everything that we're doing, everything that happens to us, everything that happened to Paul, everything that happens to us, God was already aware of. And he's there with us in there. And this is what's happening with Paul. Now, Paul has an interesting situation here because... 
faced with an individual named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus obviously was a runaway slave. He had hightailed it from Colossus, where he was a slave unto a man named Philemon, or some people pronounce it Philemon. Philemon would have been a Greek. And under Grecian law or Roman law, it wasn't like slaves in Israel, when Israelites had slaves. A slave in Roman law or in Greek if you if a maid came in and she was carrying glasses of wine or something and she happened to drop one and it broke, she could be tortured, killed, beat, whatever, just for dropping a glass. And Onesimus ran away. Now, further down, and I won't get into Ken's thing, but it's obvious he must have stole something or he did some damage to something, and he said, feet don't fail me now, I'm heading out. <laughs> and so he ran away and he headed to Rome. Now, he may have headed to Rome for a number of reasons. One may be when a criminal runs away sometime from someplace, especially in a small place, they want to go to a big city where they can hide out in the population, nobody will pay any attention to them. Or it may be the fact that Somewhere down the line, Onesimus remembered Paul. Or at least when he got to Rome, he found out about, but he knew about, he had to have known about Paul because Paul had already been to Colossae and had already won his master over to Christ. Philemon was a believer. Philemon came to know Christ. In fact, as we get into this, we'll see more and more who Philemon really was and, and how Paul praised him. So let's take a look here real quick at this letter. You know, Paul usually identifies himself as an apostle, and this is one of the few letters that he did not. And also, this is the only true personal letter in all of Scripture. Yes, Paul wrote to Timothy and Paul wrote to Titus. But they were ministerial instruction letters. They were teaching letters that could have been read to the entire church, and we're still benefiting from those personal, from those particular letters to Timothy and to Titus. But here, and we're benefiting from this one too. But it's the only one that we have a record of that Paul wrote something so personal to an individual about one particular circumstance that was going on, and it was about this man Onesimus. The runaway slave. And it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. He's letting him know Timothy's involved in this as well. Timothy is here with me and writing this letter. It says, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Now, part of the initial humor that I get out of this is Paul is doing the, I'm going to compliment first. <laughs> I'm going to butter you up until it's so slick you're just going to slide right in there with me. And this is what he's doing. And he's not doing it, and I'm, I'm letting you know, he's not doing it because he's trying to be a con man with Philemon. He's doing it out of true love and reality for this. But 
he is it does appear that he is doing the buttering up first and it's a good plan when you it's like when I was in business a store manager and I was a store manager with Dollar Tree Woo! at one time many years and many years ago one of the things when you discipline someone you learn you bring someone in and you should Tell them about what good they're doing first. And then you, just like Jesus did in Revelation, what did Jesus do with some of the churches? You're doing this, you have this work, you're doing this good thing that I see about you, but I have somewhat against thee. He comes in with, you're doing this, now there's one thing that's wrong over here. And this is what Paul's trying to accomplish here. There's a thing that's going wrong, that's happened, it's affected you, Philemon, and I don't want Onesimus to end up like these other slaves and could be killed, beaten, tortured, or whatever. And I'm trusting you as a believer you're not going to do that. So I'm here using a little bit of my personal skills here. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So we see that Philemon had a house church. The believers were meeting in there, and it's believed that the two individuals mentioned here, the beloved Aphia, who was probably his wife, and Archippus is believed by many to have been Philemon's son, who also held a position of probably authority or teaching ability or whatever, because Paul refers to him as a fellow soldier, someone who, as the pastor was saying about it in, in Jude, someone who willingly to get up front and contend for the faith. And we're called to be those kind of soldiers, to contend for the faith. And it says, into the church in your house. In other words, I'm writing this to let the church know this is what the way this thing should be going as well. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Typical Paul introduction, wanting to bless them with grace, abundant grace, abundant favor, unmerited favor, unearned favor of God. So often we try to do things whether, you ever made a bar, tried to make a bargain with God? You do. I'll do this, God, if you just do this for me. I have. I'm honest enough. I'll do this. But I'm having a wrong understanding of God's favor. I'm trying to earn something that God has already given me. His love. His grace. I don't. I can't earn it. I can't get any more than what He's already promised me on that. And peace. And this is a dual peace. Peace. With God, when you know Christ, you have peace with God, and you have the peace of God. That no matter what situation you're in, you can still find that inner peace that will help you get through that struggle. And that's what he is wishing here for Philemon and his family and for the church there. In verse 4, he continues... 
as he does in so many of the other ones, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. How many times do we see that Paul talking about that in Scripture? Whenever he writes a letter, I thank God for you and I'm making mention of you in my prayers. Paul was a prayer warrior. Everything we do in this life has to begin with prayer. So often we want to take the bull by the horns and we want to go out and we want to do it on our own, whether it's our job. God's not really interested in my job. He's interested in those spiritual things and those hard, difficult times, but he can't really be interested in these little intricate things. I've got news for you. He's interested in your grocery list. He's interested when you go to bed, what time you go to bed. He's interested in what you're watching on TV. He's interested in what you do for your recreation and whatever it is you're doing in your life, he's interested in it. He's involved in it. He wants you to allow him to be involved in that. And so Paul recognizes the fact that I am praying. It all starts with prayer, and I am praying for you, and I'm praying for every church, and I'm praying for His prayers must have been dynamic, folks. I would love to just sit under Paul's authority and his teaching and just actually be in a room and just listen to Paul praying sometime. Because sometimes I got news, I need some lessons in prayer. I don't know about you, but there are times I'm going, is this getting anywhere? I had a pastor say one time, and I, I said one time to the pastor when I was young, he says, I, I, I told him, I said, Pastor Spillman, I just said, I don't think my prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling. And he says, they don't have to get beyond your nose for God to hear them. And that we just have to recognize the fact that God is listening. And we just need to pray. Hearing of your love, in verse 5, and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Here again, Paul is commending them for their love. And that's not love in word, that's love in deed. For they had to have had, a, for Paul to say that, there had to be a demonstration. And the Colossian church, it had its troubles. But they were a church that was growing. They were a church that was founded on Paul's faith, his teachings, his life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. This was a church that knew how to minister to some people, to a lot of people. They weren't a church that just showed up on Sundays and said, well, that's it, I'm leaving. Let's say leave the building, that's it. This was a church that was vibrant and out there active and working. And Paul was commending them for that. Paul said, you're beyond the four walls of the building. And that's what we need to realize here. I mean, I don't know how many times the pastor, in the short time I've been at this church, and this is the, one of the things that, I really love about this church is when there's a need in this church, we all get emails. Someone needs prayer. Someone needs help. Someone needs this or that or the other thing where we're gathering up clothes for Israel or give 
things to send to Israel and places like that. We're here to mission. That's it. When I, when I get that, I stop immediately and pray for whoever those needs are. And this church is reaching out beyond the four walls of what we are constructed here. And a lot of churches don't. They, they go in Sunday morning. They leave Sunday before the Methodists get to the nearest restaurant, try to meet them there. And that's the spirituality until next Sunday. A church that's growing is a church that's serving others. And that's what Paul was saying here to them. They're, they're a home church. They're not behind a big building. They don't have a cathedral. They don't have even a church like Generations. They're meeting in homes. And even from there, they are having an impact in other people's lives. And lives are being saved. That the sharing of your faith, in verse 6, may become effective, may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Again, become effective by acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. There's times when church discipline is necessary and we deal with sin when it's found. But there's also a time that instead of going around and just complaining about the other person that we acknowledge them, that we acknowledge every good thing that is in a believer. None of us here are perfect. I look in the mirror sometimes and I go, dear God, I think you made a mistake in redemption. But I know he didn't. I know that in me there's nothing good in and of it by itself, but I have Christ in me and he's living his life through me. As it says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And that's what we need to acknowledge in ourselves and in others. In verse 7, For we have great joy and great consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So he's telling Philemon, that they're rejoicing even in Rome because they are aware of the work. I tell you, when you're doing the work of the Lord, you don't need to brag about it. If you're doing the work of God, that news spreads. You don't need to advertise big time. I, I, I When I was ministering, uh, another four-square pastor and I were ministering in Bangor, Maine. We had a gentleman come up to us and wanted to minister at our church. Handed us his card, gave his name, and said, Prophet of God and worker of miracles. 
Well, I got news. You don't need to have it on your business card. If you're a God, there's a discernment going around. There's already a witness about what is happening in there. It goes before you. Your life, as you live it in Christ, is your testimony, and it goes out. Believe me, I mean, my wife, when she was young and got saved, and she was in high school, kids used to make fun of her. She was one of those crazy Jesus freak gals during the Jesus people movement. And they would call her names. But what was interesting is that when any of these kids had trouble, even in the school, the guidance counselor, when they, she was having trouble with a particular student, they didn't rely on worldly psychology or anything else. They called my wife, 16 years old, out of the class, and she would come to the guidance office and be ministering to students there and praying with them. Her reputation went without what They may make fun of her, but when they were in trouble, they knew who to go to. They knew who had the answer. They knew who really loved. They knew who really cared. They knew who really had the faith to see them through. And this, again, is what Paul is saying Philemon and his church is doing. They're not just preaching. They're living it. They're acting it. They're walking it out. And here's poor Onesimus, a slave. It says, therefore, verse 8, though I might... <clears throat> here's the next thing. I like this one. My next little chuckle. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ, command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner in Christ. Talk about a triplicate here. He says, for love's sake, and then Paul goes, and I'm old. I love doing that to my kids. Give me a hand, your old grandpa. Give me a hand, dad's old. And now I'm also a prisoner. So he's using this. Onesimus is in deep trouble. Or he could be in deep trouble. And Paul is laying out the groundwork for Onesimus to be restored back to Philemon, not as a slave, but as a brother. Yes? He's, in verse 10 there, is he saying that uh, he won Onesimus to the Lord while he was in jail? Is that what that's saying? Yes. Okay. Exactly. So when Onesimus showed up, Onesimus undoubtedly heard of Paul and found who Paul was, and he got saved. 
Now, Onesimus, we discover, and here in Philemon isn't the only time we discover Onesimus. Over in Colossians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, it says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. Now, he's writing to the church of Colossia, which is right only about 12 miles from where this is. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So Onesimus is not, he, Paul's not only trying to get Onesimus to go back and be restored back to Philemon, but he's sending him back as a witness. I'm sending him with Tychicus. And then in verse 16 and 17, it says, we also we we find out Philemon's son Archippus is also mentioned there. It says in verse sixteen and seventeen. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry to which you have received of the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So we see that Archippus indeed was involved in ministry, that Paul had put him in a position of ministry. He was growing in Christ. And we also see that when Tychicus and Onesimus go back to Colossae, they are carrying with them not one letter just from Paul to Philemon, but he's carrying two others. He's carrying the letter to the Colossians, and he's carrying another epistle to the Laodiceans, one of which, obviously, the Laodicean one is lost in history somewhere. I would love to see what was in that one. <laughs> Knowing from the Church of Laodicea in Revelation, I would really love to see that one. But there were three that they were taking back. They were entrusted with, Paul entrusted them with, and we know from this that Onesimus was willing to go back and accept whatever happened. And it's amazing what God will do in restoring relationships when we allow him to just have full reign over us. How many times have we had an enemy in our lives or somebody we might consider a friend that turned their back on us, a relative that did something bad to us, and we have a hard time letting that go? I'm sure Onesimus felt hurt. I'm sure Onesimus was angry. I mean, that Philemon was angry and Philemon was hurt over what took place with a slave that ran away and may have stolen from him. But Paul is saying, Onesimus was a slave then. Now, he's a brother. 
In Scripture, Paul made it plain, there's no longer free or slave, male or female, Jew or Gentile. We are all one. I don't know if Onesimus went back and became a slave again, or if he was, or what? So was Onesimus the one that delivered this letter to Philemon? It would have been very interesting. I don't know if Paul would have let that Tychicus do it for him, or or what. But I don't think it made any difference. But, you know, you're reading that, and it's coming from a man you trust and a man you love. And I have to view this as Philemon. And Philemon may be looking at this like, but he, if it were some of us, maybe we'd be going, you don't understand, Paul, he did this to us. He did this. Because we've all had relatives and family members and even spouses that have done certain things to us that just, mm, co-workers, mm, bullies in school, or maybe we were the bully. But God says, in me, <coughs> I build bridges. I restore relationships. I put together things I don't tear apart. And if you're in me and you're trusting in me, what is this far apart <coughs> can become this. So he's actually putting Philemon in a position to prove his faith and to forgive and to <clears throat> accept this guy in that had done them some type of wrong, I'm assuming. Yes. Which everybody knew about. <coughs> Church was in his home. Right. Exactly. That's why when Paul at the beginning <coughs> said he's writing this because the offense would have been to Philemon initially because he owned the slave but to the wife, who would have been equal in that, to the son, who was obviously in the household, and to the whole church. I don't know. Maybe he stole the offering <laughs> or whatever, but whatever it was that he had done, Paul said greater. Verse 4, he tells what he's thankful to God for because of him um, and, and that, that he prays for him. Verse 5 is what he's thankful for. I hear of your love and faith mm -hmm. which you have toward the Lord and toward all the saints. So this is what he's thankful for. I mean, he's building a case. He's a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. And then verse 6 is what he's praying. That the communication or fellowship, it's a koinonia word, of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So he's praising him for what he's done, then he's reminding him of who he is in Christ. Exactly. Oh, man, he built a strong case for him. <laughs> and, and, and that word sharing or koinonia fellowship, it can also mean partner mm -hmm. or partnership. And he's looking at this and going, no longer the relationship that he's building to is that Onesimus and Philemon are no longer this master. in a relationship, a master necessarily slave relationship, but a brother-to-brother -brother relationship through Jesus Christ. And he's putting together, as the pastor said, he's putting together a lawyer's case that would stand in any court because he has to build this. He's trying to, it, it's comical in one way, and I would say almost like typical Jewish in another way, but it's, but, the, but the case is solid here that he's building a case 
of, and he's building it on the love of Christ because he's trying to build the fact that what he's talking about is relationship. I'll tell you, it's always been my belief that this whole by this whole word of God is relationship from Genesis one one to Revelation twenty to the end of it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's based on all of His love coming and our love taking Him in. I can't wait for that day when this is over and we're face to face with the one who loves us. And, you know, it's the same way. There's no such thing in my belief as I don't like necessarily what we call hierarchy in church. <clears throat> I have pastored, but I've always said I'm my pastoring is a gifting, not a thing to lord over somebody. I put my pants on, the old expression, the same way everybody else does. And I am an equal partner in that sharing of the gospel and that walking of faith and in this body of believers. And I'm so grateful to all of you. I'm so grateful to Pastor Allen and the other people that I have met in this church. They are wonderful people. And read your email from the church when you get home tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> so, any questions? Is there anything for discussion before I turn it back over to the pastor? I was just thinking, uh, as you listen to it, I don't know if you've ever seen the brother, uh, Brother How Art Thou? <laughs> yeah. And it reminds me of this, not yeah. that part, but an important part of it. Is one guy gets baptized and he gets saved and he's all excited and he's saying, you know, I'm right with God, right with everybody. But then he admits to robbing the bay or the grocery store, Piggly Wiggly, and they mentioned him, you're not quite right with the state of Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> recognize too that sin has its consequences and sometimes those sin require us to accept the responsibility and make it right turn yourself into the jail turn yourself in and i have read story after story of men and that who have done just that i have sinned against you know one thing we need to understand, we need to understand Psalm 51 too. That's not first two, but Psalm 51, also David's prayer. When we sin, we may harm someone else, but and David definitely did. I mean, let's let's face it, David harmed Bathsheba. He really harmed Uriah, sent him out to be killed. 
And when finally confronted with it, David didn't try to make an excuse. He didn't try to hide the sin. He didn't try to say it never happened. And Onesimus had to have been like this as well because he had to have confessed to Paul and those there, this is what I did. I am sorry for it. And Onesimus had to be willing to go back. And whatever discipline... Philemon decided to put on, Philemon could order death, runaway slaves, stealing or whatever he did, that could be any kind of a horrible death sentence, or whipping, or any kind of beating, or beheading, or whatever it is they did, he could have done that. Paul was trying to avoid all of that and say, he's not the same man he was when he left, but there needs to be restoration. And Paul says, and I, I, don't, I don't want to get into Ken's thing, but literally Paul's, if he's done any financial stuff, I'll take care of it. Take it out of my account. But we need to realize there are consequences to our behavior and to what we've done. You know, once in a great while, there's those times where sometimes keeping our mouth shut might be the better part. But, but when David sinned, and I forgot the point there, and I got off the track there, is that overall, David said, Against you and only you have I sinned. It didn't matter about the world so much. The great sin was I should have known better. I walked with God and I blew it. So my great sin was against him. I have fallen short of his glory. I have. But that momentary pleasure I left my first love I decided to become my own shepherd rather than let God lead it we we can forgive somebody but the state has a duty to enforce the laws of the land however in some cases many cases a person drop the charges and drop the charge and it goes no further. Exactly. And I guess you could say some crimes you can't, like murder, you can't drop that charge, you know, but theft or something like that. And and I had a case where a guy worked for this steel company and he drove this truck load of steel and everything and he drove it to a real bad part of town and just dropped it and went partying all weekend. And the owner was like, where's my truck? He had thousands of dollars worth of inventory. Well, <laughs> we got the guy, and right there in front of me, there's the owner. Here's the guy that stole it. He says, I, I know I did it. He said, but I want you, I'm asking you to forgive me. I think he was trying to get out of the deal myself. But I don't remember what the guy said, but he did have that option. He could drop the charges, and we would have no further interest in the matter. And and so I see it the same here. He could forgive him and accept him or report him to the Romans. Or Yeah. So. You know, one of the greatest forgiveness stories I ever heard, testimony I ever heard, and I'll be honest, I don't know if I could have done it. I'm honest. I don't know if I could have done it. This was 30-some years ago I heard it about a 
young man broke into this man's house, brutally beat, raped repeatedly, and then stabbed this man's wife. She survived. They were believers. Every day, this couple, after she was out of the hospital, and he did it before that, went and tried to visit him in prison even before he, in jail before he had his trial. He was tried and convicted of this brutal rape and stabbing and beating. They visited him every day in prison, almost every day, because the prison was close by. In 10 years, he was up for parole. This couple went in and vouched for him. Not only did they vouch for him, this man gave him a job in his business when he got out. And until he could get his own place, they put him up in the very house that he raped the wife. He lived there for almost a year. And later he made this criminal a partner. Now, I'm honest. Somebody do that to my wife or my child, I don't know. It would have to be the grace of God. In my flesh, I have to admit, I'd probably want to strangle this guy, which is the wrong thing to do. But this was the ultimate in grace I had ever heard. Because I heard them both from both sides give the testimony. And it was an amazing story that touched my heart, but I still to this day I'm going. But this is what Onesimus was to some degree was facing. That way you love your brother as Jesus loves us. Yes. They led this man to the Lord while he was in prison. And so it's just an amazing, amazing way that God can move and restore relationships. And it, it, it never amazes me that I can, I'm picking this word up and all the way through, I, you know, we have the great heroes of faith, but these great heroes of faith were flawed individuals, and all you have to do is really go back and take Hebrews 11 and go back and see their lives and see the flaws in them and understand God didn't pick, it's an old saying, God doesn't pick the qualified, he qualifies those that he picks, those that he chooses. I would like to hear from Philemon, because I just see him getting this letter and going, oh man, <laughs> <laughs>
I just one thing that kind of sticks up to me too is I follow him right with my own hand. I will say, not to mention that you, you uh, that you owe even me your own self. Besides, kind of makes me wonder what that statement's all about. There. Just, I'll let Ken handle that one next like, week. <laughs> Ken, Ken will be on that last part next week, but you're right. When you when basically put, what can you you can't buy salvation? But I think that's a lot of what he was talking about there. Yeah, and sometimes when you're being when you're Philemon, it's not that you're being approached to be told and reminded of what it is in Christ you're to do, but it's who's telling you. In this case, it's the guy that brought him to Christ also, that he's a brother of Paul, the apostle, the old one. I mean, it's it's who's asking of him, not dictating to him. Yeah, and, and you know, Paul says, I could, I could order you basically to do this, but because of love's sake, if I order you, it doesn't do any good. It means more if I'm doing it out of, the motivation because I love him, Onesimus, and I love you. Yep. And if my love for Onesimus and my love for you can bring that love into a three-way agreement here, with four-way if you put God in there, but basically, you know, that love yep. demonstrated to both will bring both of you together. And that's what help a brother for. out because I'm old and in prison. Yeah, that, and that's what he's doing. Doing, I'm old. Listen to me, you know. Boy, they.